Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Sean Kilkenny is the Advocacy and Deer Management Director for the Australian Deer Association. I reached out to him because I wanted to talk about this Australian National Feral Deer Management Plan. I, I still can't remember the name of it. Just call it the Federal Deer Action Plan. And I wanted to get an understanding of its implications for deer management in Australia, because as you'll hear from Sean, there's no real federal oversight of deer in Australia. It all comes down to the states and how they regulate those specific animals on public and private lands. A great conversation with Sean. It discusses everything you need to know about the current situation of deer management in Australia. And it's fascinating for anyone around the world that is interested in wildlife management. So enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Sean Kilkenny, we've done this once before, haven't we? Yes, probably a little while ago now, Robbie. <laughs> yeah, uh, same, same things happening in Australia as they were the last time we spoke, man. I had a great conversation with Barry about ducks. Um, and it's, 
you're probably going to shake your head and go, yep, the same thing's happening with deer. But I'll just say that uh, the, the, the intricate politics that are at play around duck hunting and the, the nuances eh. tied to the person switching sides, the referendum coming forward, indigenous rights, the idea that the unions and the tradies are now putting pressure on the backbenches that are now like, mm, we may not be against duck hunting anymore <laughs> because you're affecting our pocketbook <laughs> and the potential of getting elected again. Yeah, look, it's, it, it is a, obviously, I'm based in Victoria, so I see firsthand a lot of the work that's going in and around the duck stuff. Often when I'm in Parliament House doing deer stuff, I run into Barry doing duck stuff. You know, so I'm really cognizant of the amount of work that they're going on and the challenges that they're dealing with. Well, Sean Kilkenny, welcome back to the Blood Origins podcast. Um, for those that may not be familiar with who you are, can you give us a brief description of your title, who you work for, what you're passionate about? Yeah, sure. So my name's Sean Kilkenny. I work as the advocacy and deer management lead for the Australian Deer Association. Uh, the Australian Deer Association is a not-for-profit that was uh, established in 1969. Um, and we effectively work for the management of wild deer and advocate strongly for public land access for recreational hunters, you know, ensuring that we are a part of this conversation surrounding wild deer and ensuring that our members and also the broader public get access to these fantastic public lands that we have available and that we're a part of the conversation. So for those that aren't familiar with the scene in Australia, let's set, let's set the tone kind of scenario. How many deer species can you hunt in Australia? So there's six introduced deer species in Australia. Um, they're not all, so obviously Australia is rather large, not too dissimilar to the States. All six species aren't necessarily everywhere. It's about as wide as, it's about as, wide as the United States. Yeah, yeah. People don't actually realise how big Australia is. No, it's, you know, I think it's what, a five-day drive from one side to the other, you know, it's on an overnighter. <laughs> um, and, you know, effectively you go from one country to another when you drive such distances. Now, if that was Europe, you'd probably go on past 30 countries. Um, but, yes, yeah, so obviously, uh, for the most part, most wild deer are established around the eastern seaboard, um, mostly starting in Victoria, then working their way up through New South Wales and to the bottom of Queensland. So we've got a great dividing range, so, which is like a mountain range which runs north to south along that eastern seaboard which basically is a wildlife corridor for most animals. So it's kind of natural for them to wander their way through there. Yeah, and you're not going to find many deer species, if any, at all west of the dividing range, right? No, traditionally speaking, because on the interior of Australia, it's, it's fairly arid. Um, it's not really sustainable to many populations of a lot of wildlife, or particularly in low abundance. Um, it's a very arid interior. So fallow deer... Red deer, axis, sandbar, hog, and chittle. What did I miss? Chittle. Yep. And, and didn't I say axis? Uh, you might have. What did you? I didn't hear you. What was it? <laughs> uh, uh, do you have? Uh, so let's start again. Well, no, maybe I didn't say fallow. I said fallow, sandbar, axis, hog, red. What am I missing? Seeker. No, you don't have seeker. Rusa. Rusa. That's it. Number six. Rusa. 
Um, and, most and look, abundant deer species to hunt in Australia, Sean. Yeah, so look, the mo- for the most part, there's two there's two populations that are the most significant, and that's the fallow and the samba. Um, and they're a fairly significant animal between themselves. You've got obviously the fallow, which is the European based, and that prefers you know your open farm fringes type area, and that's where they'll mob up and they'll live. Um, whereas then you've also got the samba, which is an Asiatic species, which um, does a lot better in the forested areas, but at the same time isn't afraid of living in fringe country as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. So give us a little bit of background, Sean, to how these deer are managed. So they managed, and I know we're going to get into, you. there, there was obviously just a big action plan developed eh? for the entire, since the entire country. But are they are, are deer regulated at both the state level as well as a national level? Uh, no. So uh, obviously Australia is a federation. We've got all the states and territories. There's overlap in certain um, legislation or dictation of what can apply between those two levels. But for the most part, states tend to run their own state. Um, and in this case, for example, each different state and territory will have different contextual views on how to manage deer, whether it's such as, oh, we include recreational hunting or we don't include it at all. Um, so whilst there is a generic framework that's been written nationally, um, that's not prescriptive to the states about what you need to do. Ultimately, each state just rows its own boat. So, Sean, what states, again, just some context here, what states can someone publicly hunt deer in in Australia? So, New South Wales, Victoria, and Tasmania. They're they're the three. No, there's no... What about, so South Australia has no public land? So, there's no public land access. It's just not allowed. Yeah, so there's no no public land available there. Um, you can hunt on private property if you have access. Um, the same as with Queensland. Um, you need to arrange it through private property. Um, actually, technically, there is public land available in uh, the Northern Territory, but there's not that many deer up there. So it's, you know, that's probably a bit of a moot yep, point. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Is, did they used to have public land deer hunting in South Australia and Queensland? Uh, from or has mem- it just never been on the cards? From on the, memory, on I the think cards? they actually did in Queensland in about the 1950s, um, but then uh, there were some changes that I, I can't recall off the top of my head, but that effectively put an end to it. So for, for a lot of people, so, they've grown up without it existing. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Is there, do you think, being the advocacy person um, at ADA, do you think that there is a chance of either of those states opening up public land deer hunting in the future? Oh, look, I'd like to say uh, never say never, um, but at the same time, it's not going to be tomorrow. Um, you never know what's around the corner. Sure, politics doesn't move that quickly. <laughs> politics doesn't move that quickly. <laughs> well, look, you never know, um, but uh, <laughs> it, it's something that we always try and engage with to have that conversation so that if that time or opportunity presents, that we're there to make the most of it. Um, but at the same time, it's obviously when you've got, say, uh, you're starting off a base where there's no um, uh, public land access for this activity at all, uh, you know, you try to create something from nothing. Or or even more so, if you're trying to create something from a, a no to turn it to a yes, 
is much harder than turning something from a I don't have an opinion to a yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. Yeah, and, and then if you want to throw in those overlays about, you know, your, your increase in urbanisations of society, um, people that don't have that contact um, with, you know, how spending time on the land or harvesting your own food, that type of um, interaction with their, their food supply, uh, presenting something like this gives you even more groundwork to make up because it's so foreign to, you know, the person listening to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Sean, with that context, you you just sort of laid everything out for everyone. Like, here's the situation for deer in Australia. States are managing it. You can you can some you know public hunt in some areas, private hunt in other areas. But there was a national plan that was just released, that was developed and released. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that national plan. If 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 the states don't have to abide by it, who wrote it at the national level and what implications does it have then at the state level if, if they don't really, you know, well, I don't even know the word. They don't, ha- they're, they're not beholden to a greater authority. They don't need to abide by yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and look, I guess this is the great, uh, one of those great bureaucracies. Uh, so... Effectively, the plan was written uh, effectively out of South Australia, which has a somewhat negative view on deer at the moment. Um, what is the plan, first and foremost, for everyone's for everyone's benefit? So, yeah, so effectively what the plan does and what it says is, for the most part, it draws a big map. It's got a map of Australia and it draws a big circle around where the existing deer populations are and it says where these deer populations currently are. Um, we can't do a huge amount other than manage their impacts and let's prioritise that and work back from, you know, your most valuable or vulnerable potential ecological assets and work to, you know, prioritise them and then work down. Um, and then where you have areas where there are no deer or very small isolated populations, let's look to have a program or encourage states to monitor that and then ensure that they stay small um, or prevent further spread. Um, so that we sort of, what we've got now is what we deal with in the future, and then we can sort of move our way forward. Um, so in that sense, it's actually not exactly a silly idea. In Victoria, uh, we have a deer control strategy where we actually initially proposed to have it divided into zones like that, where you say, well, here's you know your big mountain regions where all the deer are, they're not going anywhere, let's manage them in that regard. Um, but due to some politicking on the other side of people that just oppose recreational hunters, they, they effectively torpedo those plans. Um, and now we've got this new um, east, west and peri-urban area design, which is, you know, another way of reinventing the wheel, but, you know, that's another issue. But more so back onto the federal plan. So for that, mostly um, you've got that sort of framework, which describes, you know, uh, where those populations are, where they want to try and maintain them. And then it looks effectively to say, well, at the moment, here are your best options to manage them. And then ultimately, we want to create additional options in the use of managing or controlling deer. And that's where they come to the sticking point of prioritizing the development of poisons, um, which, you know, fundamentally, you know, we're opposed to. We don't like poison. Poison's inhumane. It's cruel. Um, it's complete waste of resource. It's, you know, it's, there's nothing good about poison. I mean, it's pretty much 
the only way that you can look at it. Um, and, you know, ultimately they're going to try and use this as a stalking horse to push through and develop or the way to deploy, uh, I would suggest 1080 mm-hmm. onto um, wild deer. And, you know, 1080's been virtually all around the world except for the most part in Australia and New Zealand. You know, we seem pretty keen on using it still. Um, the RSPCA in Australia, which is like our... Oh, you say that nobody, nobody else in the world uses 1080 except Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah, look, they probably exactly on that, but for the most part, a lot of countries have, I think even like the states banned it in the 70s, you know, like they just put a line through it and said, no, nah, this, this stuff's just too green. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even, I guess you call like our peak animal welfare body over here, the RSPCA, um, they consider 1080 inhumane as well. Right. Right. You know, but it still gets deployed. So it's, yeah, it, it's not great. Sean, how can and so ultimately how can how can a how can a state like South Australia write a quote unquote federal deer management plan? What kind of authority allows them to put that label on it like that? This is a federal action plan. Yeah, so so effectively, what's happened? Um, when we say that it's written effectively out of South Australian, it was South Australian, I guess we could call them bureaucrats, that were employed by the federal apparatus to undertake this and to create a working group to support them and drive through um, what's been written. Oh, okay. So it's not the actual state of it itself that wrote it, but people that work within that state that hold those perceptions local to deer in that state that have then influenced the broader subject. Uh, the who at the federal level was it? The Department of Environment. I'm not familiar with the various departments in Australia, but was it the Department of Environment driving it? Uh, so no. So this no. This actually all comes under the Department of Agriculture. Okay. So most people sort of default to environment, but no, it's actually ag. Did they have a federal deer action plan or before this one, or was this the first ever? No. So this was the first. Yeah, this was the first. And, and look, it, it's not to say that there shouldn't be a plan. There actually sh- there should be. Like all animals that need to be managed, there should be a plan. There should be an attempt to create um, some consistency across the country as opposed to having everyone doing something different. Um, and this is where we saw this as an opportunity to sort of mature the conversation regarding wild deer, uh, you know, acknowledging, hey, look, they're not going to go anywhere. Um, what can we do to maintain them? Also, maintain the impacts that they have or reduce impacts that they might have. Um, but at the same time, look, they do provide um, significant contributions to society, you know, whether it's through the ability for people to spend time in the bush, you know, connecting to nature or that significant financial input into the economy that they create. So in Victoria, I think alone it's worth nearly a quarter of a billion dollars a year just recreational deer hunting. Um, you know, like, you wouldn't sneeze at it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, it's, I think if I remember correctly, New South Wales alone, like the GDP of New South Wales, hunting and maybe fishing is lumped into it too, but hunting is like the second GDP uh, producer in the state of New South Wales behind agriculture. Yeah, it's one of, so I think it's hunting and fishing put together there and it's one of the largest primary industries. Yep. Yep. It's what I remember. Yeah. Like it, it's what people, People undertake these activities. Um, despite we having a bit of an urbanisation of society, 
people look for this way to spend time in the bush, engage, put food on the table. It's it's still quite popular. So in this this federal deer management plan, did they even acknowledge deer as a resource, as a game resource, as something that you know can feed people potentially? You know, I you know one of the things that it, I'm I'm amazed that doesn't occur in Australia right now as a hunters for the hungry program, right? Being able to take deer and yeah. give it to the oh. homeless, give it to there shouldn't be a single hungry person in Australia because of the wonderful resource that you have on the landscape. Yeah, yeah, well, you're right. Look, there are some glaring um, issues that stand out from it, but look, ultimately, the scope that the report or the the, the plan was written was. Uh, only from the perspective to suggest that, oh, look, deer and introduced animal, they need to be maintained or managed. Here's the framework to do it. Um, it in, in that way, it was probably more so from a negative perspective. There wasn't that, oh, let's look at this from a, a macro point of view and say, here are the pros and cons of deer being in Australia. Here's how we manage the pros and here's how we manage the cons. It was more so focused, okay, let's, let's just focus on the potential cons and what we can do or do around that, yeah. which is one of those missed opportunities where it's like, well, there's actually more to it than just that. But there was a public comment period. There was a submission period for the federal deer. Yes, there was uh, action plan, and I'm sure yeah. there was a bunch of pro, like game resource heavy type comments that went in, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, so you know the beauty of consultation. Uh, there was a period where people could provide um, feedback to that. Um, I ran a, or I facilitated a, um, a means of doing that for hunters, and there was about 3,000 submissions that went in. Of the 3,000 that went in, approximately 1,800 of them were um, driven from the, the platform that ADA had set up, which was you know saying, look, we need to introduce a value to this animal, you know, 1080 poison isn't the way to go. Um, you need to include recreational hunters, acknowledge the role that they play in, you know, what they can contribute to managing deer species. Um, but ultimately, once the report was drafted and that was effectively its conclusion, um, there was nearly a ticker box where they said, oh, yeah, look, we put it out to consultation. One of the major, one of the changes that they made from the draft into the final product was they removed like the poison logo and then um, put like a sort of a R and D logo instead. What you know, do you mean a, a poison of... logo? What is a poison logo? Uh it's kind of like you know that like that nuclear sort of. Um, you have the three. Uh, yeah, the little sort of triangle, like the triangle that gives you like a like a warning label, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. So that that was initially where it said, "Hey, let's develop a poison." That was like the logo for that um, in the infograph. But then when they got so much feedback about it being, you know, unpopular, they've tried to de-escalate that and put like a bit of a more of a vanilla R&D picture, you know, caricature. <laughs> you know, it's like, really? You know? <laughs> you know, so it's incredibly frustrating, you know, where, how these things can pan out. So the plan doesn't mention recreational hunting, recreational management as a tool, or does it suggest that that is something that can be taken up on a state-by-state -state level? No, so it effectively, when it speaks to recreational hunters, it it fairly quickly dismisses them to say that, oh, you know, some people hunt for 
trophies or some people hunt for meat, et cetera. They're not a part of a specific deployment of management. And to a degree that that's true where look, people go out and recreationally hunt for the sake of, you know, whatever reason they do. But the consequence of them doing that is that there is a huge amount of deer harvested from them doing it. So in Victoria alone, it was last year 155 odd thousand deer harvested by recreational hunters. And that seems to be relatively consistent over the last three to four years off the top of my head without COVID interrupting it too much. Um, there was one year where that was obviously quite low because everyone was um, sure. locked at home. But um, for the most part, like, that's around, you know, your mid-150,000 deer that get harvested by these people. But there's no way that you can pretend that that doesn't have an impact on the population of, of deer. Yeah. You know, so sure. you sort of... What 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 is there a number? Let's just use Victoria as an example. Victoria obviously has a very large sandbar deer population. Hundred and fifty odd thousand, as you mentioned, are taken by recreational hunting. Is there a number and again, I don't know if it's the, the game animal um council that's in charge game of sandbar authority. deer. Mm. The game game management authority, GMA, sorry. Um do they have a number that they're trying to hit on an annual basis for deer take in the state of Victoria? No, so at the moment, um, the GMA record, uh, or they do the surveys to do the estimations of the harvest each year. Um, that's literally because we have licensed hunters, so they know who to talk to, who to survey, etc. so they can pull that data out. They don't have necessarily goals or anything. They just want to record what that data is so then they can build a picture. But so far as, oh, look, we want to harvest X or Y, that's not a part of the conversation at this point. So, hmm, that's interesting. Is it some? No, there's no mandatory reporting of sandbar deer take or any deer take in Victoria right now. The the only uh, deer species that you need to provide a report for is if during the hog deer season that you're you're hunting hog deer. Um, you know that's obviously, that's more regulated again because there's only you know effectively three thousand of them. You can only hunt them in certain areas at certain times. So th- there's a bit more process or rigor behind that um but that's a, that's an outlier at the same time but yeah if you when you're talking you know fellow slash samba um you know if you go out and shoot one on the weekend and then turn to salami in two weeks time no one will effectively know about it until if you get surveyed so, so there's no reporting if, so if there's no if there's no management goal and you probably know what I'm about to say. If there's no management goal for like, this is the number we are interested in, it sounds like there really is, it's a free-for-all from the government perspective in spending taxpayer dollars for aerial culling that has an objective of, dare I say, eradication, Whether even if that, that's probably not possible. Yeah, I guess this is where there's probably a bit of misconception or confusion um, and not necessarily held by some of the government agencies who don't necessarily publish a huge amount of data on this sort of stuff. So in Victoria alone, uh, we do have aerial culling that occurs. It's been going for a while. Um, New South Wales has it going on all the time. Um, now it's even happening in Tassie. It happens in Queensland. It's it's the new all, effectively. Yeah. Um, but where it happens, say, for example, in Victoria, the way that our... Peak, the peak body government agency that manages the land is Park Victoria. Um, and they, they effectively, as stewards of the land, they have uh, 
uh, like a an asset value register, for example, and it will say here are the most valuable assets in these across our land tenure. Um, here's the risk that they are exposed to, whether it be you know depending on what's there, whether it's you know foxes, cats uh, attacking something or predating something, or you know uh, there's an introduced animal or a weed that's having another impact on something else, we then create programs to address that. Where that then becomes relevant to deer is, for example, we've got uh, in our alpine regions, uh, there's some alpine peat peat boglands up the very top there that can be susceptible to um, deer wallowing in them. Um, And so that's where they'll deploy in some of those far remote areas where you can't actually publicly access, you're not legally allowed to hunt it. So, for example, the Snow River National Park, um, they'll deploy the helicopters to the and then shoot effectively as a shoot shoot and shoot to rot program. We yeah, have yeah. obviously they fly around in helicopters that just shoot them out and let them go, um, which isn't great. But then it obviously reduces the impact that they could have on those peatlands. Um, sure. Which look, it's not great, it's not sexy, but unfortunately, that is a part of the dynamic of managing these animals in these remote areas where yep. there's. At this point in time, no other option. Um, and let's just 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 for uh, let me let me stop you for a second on that. No other option. I think that's an important piece there, Sean. Is that you know hunters we get they get riled up a lot about aerial culling, right? Yes. But there's certain places where it's necessary. Yeah, and and, and where it is necessary, the degree of necessity is also obviously debatable. So, for example. Where I'd say, you know, look, there there is a direct a need for it in, say, the Snowies, but at the same time, at the moment, there's no public land access available to the Snowies. And that's where I'm openly engaging and consulting with the government about saying, end of the day, if you do want deer removed there, why would you not let the single largest cohort of people that remove the most deer from the landscape access to this area? Um, look, they're not going to remove every single deer there, but what they might do is give you a good baseline and start to reduce the numbers. And then if you still have a need to uh, remove an additional amount of deer to help get the impacts to the level that you want them, you can then have an aerial program that could complement or work outside of seasons so that the recreational hunters can do their thing and then you can still achieve your management goal after that. In the meantime, it will also save you millions of dollars on the helicopter. Yeah, no. Well, that makes sense, right? In terms of saving money, saving government tax dollars and whatnot. But um... yeah, and it's just a pragmatic solution. Where you know, look, the reality is that the deer aren't going anywhere, so you can't just you got to find a sustainable, ongoing solution. And I think part of that was like you literally have to use that free workforce that's in front of you, um, and you know, enable these people to go there and harvest this free range meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it is a it, it is a common sense, easy win that will help mature the conversation regarding managing these animals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sean, I was fortunate enough uh, earlier this year to spend four or five days with Roy Sloan down at the Wapiti Foundation down in the South Island of New Zealand. Obviously, Roy has figured it out. You know, they manage the numbers, they pull all the meat off the landscape. And they actually get in the chopper with the government shooters and say, take that one, take that one, don't touch that one, don't touch that one. You know, creating a trophy type landscape, which then cascades to what you're talking about, makes puts even greater demand 
for those guys, those recreational shooters wanting to go into that landscape to clean up animals because the trophy quality is there. Has anybody attempted anything like that in Australia? Uh, not that I'm aware of. And with one, New Zealand, Australia and New Zealand share a lot of similarities in a way where um, we all go through similar issues, but at different points in time. So they obviously went through what they called the deer wars there, where effectively 100%. that's probably what we're walking to now. Yep. Whereas there's going to be you know a lot of hullabaloo, then we're going to end up back at square one and then realizing something sustainable is going to be huge in, huge reliance on or um, uplift in using recreational hunters. Um, mm-hmm. So we're about to go through that, so that's going to be fun times. But the reality is, <laughs> um, you know, uh, unfortunately you can sort of see these unfold, but you can't necessarily stop it. You're just going to try and shape the, the outcome. Um, and look, ultimately this is where opportunities that come along where, you know, we try and help influence or provide um, our land managers with, you know, the understanding or the knowledge that we can obtain from other jurisdictions around the world about how to manage these things. So, yeah. for example, earlier this year, I um, the AGA brought over three American wildlife biologists. Um, oh, my gosh. You uh, brought Bronson Kip- Strickland over, didn't you? <laughs> yes, Dr. Bronson Strickland. Uh, he, oh, he don't, was don't talk too um, much about him. We don't want to give him too big of a head, old Bronson. Uh, Bronson's a good bloke. He's a good bloke. Uh, Mr., uh, so Mr. Strickland, uh, Kip Adams, and uh, Dr. Craig Harper. Um, yep. And so we got those guys over and we got them to present in front of um, you know, quite a few actual uh, state-based um, management agencies and talk about what happens in, obviously, in this occasion, it was in you know, the United States and how they have sustainable um, programs in you know, urban areas regarding deer management. Because ultimately what happens there, it's, it's very similar to what will happen here. It's just the context is that there are native species, whereas mm-hmm. here it's an introduced one. Mm-hmm. But you know, ultimately you want to manage them and reduce you know, human-wildlife conflict, they call it, you know, mm-hmm. in, in that particular context. So it's like not too dissimilar to New Zealand, where New Zealand where these events are happening around the world and it's incumbent on us to learn from them and then share that resource here and try and uplift that conversation so that we can deliver better outcomes for everybody involved. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I um, I was a professor in the same department that Bronson is in for six years. That's how oh. I met Bronson. Yeah, I was oh, in the wildlife yeah, fisheries right. department okay. at Mississippi State University. There you go, small world. Yeah, Bronson's a good mate. He's, he's a really, really great extension um, deer ecologist. Essentially trained under Demaris and Harry Jacobs, and just you know knows his stuff and knows how to interact with people because that's the extension job that he occupies here in Mississippi. Yeah, he, he's fantastic at being able to translate, you know, like lo, lo, what he would call the nerd stuff into just everyday talk, you know. So, you know, you'd walk away knowing exactly what was going on. And, but yeah. it's like when the three of the guys were in the car, I was listening to every word they said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only thing with Bronson is yeah, you got to make sure that he wears a um, camo hat or we camo up his head because his shiny dome is going to, like, shy, you know, scare off the deer. You know. No, no, yeah. Look, we um, we had a great. Uh, they spent two weeks in Australia, one week in Victoria, and one week in Tassie, and uh, yeah, it was a fantastic trip. You know, and uh, hopefully we've got some exciting stuff that can come out of it over the next few years. You know, these things aren't overnight, um, but you know, you got to plant the seed and 
and water it like hell. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Let me ask this question. Uh, from a private land perspective, tying back to aerial culling, do mm. private land individuals need to give permission to the government to be able to aerial cull on their properties, or is it a government has a loophole that they're like, we can do whatever we want? Oh, so this is where it probably gets complicated, and based on each different state, will have their own jurisdictions will have different rules. Okay. Um, so I could probably only speak in you know, generic terms. Let's just talk about Victoria. Um, so at the moment, we don't have, to my knowledge, there's not aerial culling that occurs on any private property. The only time it does occur is on land tenure with, uh, uh, within Park Victoria, so effectively some national parks. Okay. Uh, for the most part, uh, Snowy River is the big one, Erinunja next door. Um, and then the crowage along along the coast there. So there's um, that's tense, and that's based on where they're focusing their limited resources to manage the most valuable ecological asset. Effectively, that's their you know scaling down. Um, it also what what comes back to that is it depends on the status of deer within that state. So in Victoria, technically they couldn't do that because um, deer aren't a pest. So they, they wouldn't be able to impose that through a particular act. So they need like an act that would enable them to gotcha. um, undertake certain activities. Um, but then within doing those activities, there'd obviously then be a certain list of processes that they need to follow, etc. Um, so yeah, look, it, it, it can get pretty complicated depending on which jurisdiction you're talking to. What about uh, right now, South Australia, there's that ABC News video that's going around like crazy of the recreational deer hunter nearly being yeah. shot at by the, the helicopter. That's culling on private ground. It's, it sounded like permission given to cull from a previous landowner. Yeah, so South Australia is an interesting one. So a quick overview of what's happening in South Australia is um, there's obviously no, there's no effective the recognition of wild deer there at all. They considered um, under the Landscape Act 2019, they considered a like a feral pest, and under that act, the government has the ability for any flora or fauna that they declare under that act, they can compel a landowner to take action regarding that plant or animal. Um, so it's really broad, um, and it all comes down to what the um, the government of the day decides it wants to do. At the moment, deer is the flavour of the month, so um, they are trying to eradicate around forty thousand deer, um, which is a would be a world first. Um, they're spending a lot of federal money doing it, so it's not necessarily their own. Um, so whilst they've got that resource there, they're quite happy to try. Um, but what can effectively happen then is, as a landholder, they can say to you, you need to produce a plan that demonstrates how you will eradicate deer from your property. And if we're not satisfied with your plan, we can provide you with an action order, which gives you an undertaking to take specific activities. And over there at the moment, obviously, they've got the aerial culling. So if you can't produce a plan which is satisfactory to them, they can then say, well, here's an action order for you to effectively subscribe to the aerial program. If you don't subscribe to the aerial program or follow these uh, um, action order items, you're then susceptible to being fined and you know, having punishment through that. Plus, ultimately, at the end of the day, if you don't do that, we can still do it, and then we'll send you the bill for it. 
So it's it's a My very gosh. narrow one way street. Yeah, it's very draconian, and I'm not sure if it's actually been used like this on any other animal in the past. Um, I'm fairly confident it doesn't. It hasn't. Um, but yeah, so look, that, that incident that happened earlier this year, I think it was in March. Um, yeah, there, there was obviously a change in landholder at the time. So the previous permission was given to buy, I think it was a, like a plantation private mm-hmm. uh, business. Um, a new owner came on, um, well, purchased the land, and then um, there wasn't a check to ensure that the current landholder had given permission to uh, effectively a local landscape or to carry out that activity. So there was a gap, a process gap there. Um, and that's where those guys obviously had that um, rather unfortunate encounter with a helicopter you know, being a few hundred metres away from them, having a go at some deer. Um, but yeah, that's, that's caused a, a bit of hoo-ha over here, and, and rightly so, because you, know, you, don't want, you don't want that sort of process gap on something so important as sure. that. Um, you know, but I think it's been six months since that incident and nothing's happened, which is good, but um, the, the big issue is that you know, ultimately the, the goal that they're trying to achieve and how they're achieving it with the eradication attempt is, is what has everyone up in arms about as well. Sean, what's the next steps here? Obviously, this federal deer action plan is now out. Um, as you said, states can either look at it, adopt it, ignore it, do whatever they want to do with it. Yeah. And look, that, that's the big challenge, right? So you've got, like, say, states like Victoria, um, who's got their own deer management plan that's not that, that not terribly old. Um, you've got Tasmania, who just released their wild deer fellow plan, uh, which isn't that old either. Um, so you've got states that have got their own mechanisms that are in place. Um, I don't think that the plan itself is necessarily going to move mountains. Um, the big thing that the plan will probably do is um, try and create a narrative to deploy or endorse a poison. Um, but the other catch is that whilst you might be able to, say, have 1080 approved for use on deer, the ability for you to deploy it effectively and safely on deer is actually another issue too. Um mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be rather challenging and not necessarily successful either. Um, so you've got New Zealand, obviously, where they can just... Well, it's just so strange. You've got, like, this thing in Australia that is, yes, you've got, like, invasive species and you've got huge pest issues and not that we're calling deer invasive or pests, but it, it is a country of issues, right? <laughs> Toads and foxes and prickly pears and all sorts of things. Yet it's also a country that is very environmentally conscious, that is very green, that is like, look after the environment. Yeah, it's, it's a strange clash. The, the, the idea of bringing... And, and, and like, look, when, when I talk to politicians and stuff about, you know, the deployment of poison, that, that, that all fall over. No one likes it. You know, like, it's just not... Um, there's no social license to do it. So 1080 is not being no, deployed right no, now not, in not Australia, right? They do use it for, like, yeah. um, think for cats and obviously wild dogs. Um, but that's extremely regimented about where that is and deployed, and there's a pretty thorough process about where the uh-huh. debates, they let them be measured where they are and tracked and monitored quite regularly. Um, but no, there's, there's no ability for them to use that for deer at the moment. But ultimately, whether it's in five, ten years' time, that's where they want to have that within their toolkit. But, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll probably find some progressive states that will just never look at it. They'll be like, no, that's just not going to happen. 
you know, we won't do that. There are other ways. <laughs> and so, you know, whilst there might be an overarching sort of conversation about it, but then each state rows their own boat still and, and they'll make their determination about whether they think that's appropriate. And that's where, you know, being in the ADA, and this is what we do, we help to educate and inform those politicians about those policy decisions and the consequences of that and that there are alternatives there. You know, and, and a lot of all, a lot of the roads lead to recreational hunting for volunteers and deer management programs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Sean, what's the next steps for ADA in the next six months between now and the end of the year? Yeah, so there's a fair bit going on. Obviously, there's the fallout from the the feral deer management plan. Um, you know, they kind of get their name right. That's how good the plan is. But um, so we've got a lot of advocacy work re- regarding that. Um, <laughs> Sort of helping to reduce the, um, I guess, the hyperbole and sort of misconceptions that have come out of it. Um, you know, quite often we hear people suggest that you know wild deer can be like these vectors of so many diseases, etc. Whereas, look, you know, for the most part, let's be honest: if wild deer don't go around carrying all these germs and bugs, it's livestock that generally carry all the all the all the, the funky stuff. So, um, ensuring that conversations like that. A sense that are evidence based um, is really big on what we do, uh, and and that's actually like a twenty four seven role to be honest, um, because there's always a conversation that comes up that sort of needs to be rerouted back to actually what's the supporting argument behind that because that hasn't been demonstrated, you know, mm-hmm. but because it's an introduced animal, you know, the conversation gets halfway down the road before anyone's actually done some fact checking. So, you know, there's a lot of work with that, you know been going undertaking now federally um, and then also at a lot of state-based levels so it's a it's a busy time before christmas mm-hmm. if sean if you had a crystal ball and you talked about the deer wars that you're entering into same thing that happened in new zealand let's let's fast forward the clock 10 years from now are we out of the deer wars in 10 years have we got sustainable programs like that you know almost equivalent to new zealand where you've got people rallying around trophy quality management sustaining harvest pulling deer off the landscape utilizing the resource look we'll probably never get to that point where we start talking yeah like that trophy sort of stuff um but we'll i'd like to think that we could get towards a point where look there's a recognition that they're not they're not going anywhere but we can have sustainable management practices that realize the value that the animal provides, whether it's through um, enabling 50,000 people in Victoria a year to go out and spend time in the bush, or it provides food for the homeless, um, you know, it supports thousands of people in employment. Um, you know, there's, these are aspirational goals that I think we can work towards, and I think inevitably we will get there. It's just how many layers of paint come off everything in the meantime before we get there. Um, but I, you know, I, I do think it, at some point it will be an inevitability, and we'll never stop till we get there. You know, that's 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 the bottom line as well. You know, like we're going to push that wheelbarrow as hard as we can for as long as we can, and, and keep continuing to inject that common sense and rational thought into the conversation regarding managing wild animals in Australia. Mm-hmm. Sean, where can people find more information about Australian Deer Association? How can they help you? Yeah, so look, guys, um, what I'll do to jump on our website. Uh, ostia.com.au or just Google Australian Deer Association. Uh, we're obviously a member-based organisation. Uh, 
and mostly they're in Australia, but we also do have an international option. So if you guys want to lend a hand, that's that's certainly more than welcome. Um, with our international brothers and sisters, you also get access to our magazine in a digital copy as well. So it's pretty pretty cool. Um, that's a really easy way to follow our socials, just interact on that. Um, it helps you get a bit of an insight into what's going on in the land down under, um, some of the challenges that we face, and hopefully while also plant a seed for you, some people to uh, holiday in Australia as well. We all need an excuse to get out here. Yeah. Yeah, holiday and great hunting. Absolutely great hunting because you've got six deer species yeah. you can chase, <laughs> some on public ground, some on private ground. So, hey, why not? Yeah, that's right. Look, yeah, it's a, it's a country of adventure if you want it. A hundred percent. Sean, always a pleasure to talk to you, my man. I know the conversation was going to be good. 45 minutes rolled around super quick. Uh, so thank you, my man. You have a wonderful Tuesday. No worries. Thanks, Robbie. Anytime. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.